And the Bible says it's in the still, small voice that God begins to sort those things through in your life. That's what we call our quiet time with the Lord. And we need that. Because as we do that, God begins then to make the logos, the logic of it all happen for you. And you go, oh, I get it. I get it. I understand. Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from Pastor Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, Pastor Mike is starting up 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll be studying about newborn infants in the Christian faith. So go ahead and get your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and here's Pastor Mike. Chapter 2, we find it starts off with the word, therefore. Now, I know this is corny, but whenever you find the word therefore, find out why it's therefore. (laughs) That's important because it's a continuing thought based upon something else that's already been said. So therefore, let's go back one verse to chapter 1, verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. That is... That the word of the Lord endures forever, but we don't on this earth. The verse right before this verse, verse 24, says that man is like grass. We're here and then we're gone. Life is short as the old saying goes. And before this verse, Peter tells us that we have an inheritance in heaven. Now I think that's great. To know you have an inheritance in heaven and that life is short So therefore, as we start into verse 2, or chapter 2, what kind of people should we then be? Now, understanding that this is written from Peter. Peter was one of the disciples that would oftentimes say things and then realize that he overstepped his bound. Lord, I am willing to go and die for you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny you know me three times. But Peter was also a very logical kind of guy. We remember that Jesus, when he came into contact with Peter and the disciples for the first time, he finds him by the Sea of Galilee and he said, children, have you caught anything? And they said, master, we've been out fishing all night. We've caught nothing. And Jesus said, let your net down on the other side. Now, I would like to say that the disciples and Peter in particular, upon Jesus's word of letting your net down on the other side, were so humble and so much in tune with the Spirit, and so much aligned with what Jesus was saying, that as they did this, they did it with great joy. I'd like to be able to say that. But we know that as we study in the Gospels, the reaction that Peter had when the great load of fish was brought in tells us that the nets were let down for probably some other reason. Namely, to humor the Master. He's not a fisherman. He's a rabbi. Let's just do what he says. (laughs) Well, you remember what Jesus said. You caught anything? No. Let your net down on the other side. Now that's the same thing as saying, you ain't caught any fish? Oh, your problem is you're fishing off the wrong side of your boat. That'd be like you going up to a hunter. You shot the big buck? No. Your problem is you're using the wrong end of the gun. (laughs) See, Peter, I believe, was humoring Jesus. 
The reason why is when the great load of fish was brought in, when Peter looked at the fish, he didn't say, whoa, Jesus, that's great. You know what Peter's reaction was? Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. See, I I, I believe that that reaction, when Peter looked at the fish and letting down the net, see, he did what Jesus said to do, certainly not expecting what was going to happen. Peter was a logical guy. Fishing off the wrong side of your boat doesn't bring in any more fish until you add in the Jesus factor. That changes everything. So chapter 2 then, he says, Therefore, Peter writing here, laying aside all malice. Now malice is not a word we use much anymore in our society. We know language is fluid and sometimes in the fluidity, is that a word? If it isn't, it should be. Okay, let's coin it today. In the fluidity of our language. Words change their value, they change their meaning. You go into the old King James, lewd fellows of a basser sort, don't mean a whole lot today. But when you say they were really a bunch of evil guys, you go, oh yeah, okay, I get that. Well, here we find that we use the word malice, but the word malice is simply evil, evil practicing, okay? So he said, laying aside. Now the word laying there is a verb for all of you uh, school teachers and all of you that flunked out in uh, uh, English. Laying is a verb, and that means it's an action word, and that means it requires my will. And so when I find the word laying aside, that means it's a willful choice that I make to not go down the path that I've gone on. Do you know a lot of people are led around by their lusts? And lust can be anything that takes your heart away from God. Anything that that gets in the place of your relationship with God. You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament. You you find that Solomon, as an example, started off in his kingly ministry, the second king of Israel, David was, or excuse me, third king of Israel, Saul was the first one, not a very good choice, David, a man after God's own heart, we find Solomon, and Solomon, when he came to power as the third king of Israel, he, he really didn't know what he was doing. So he said, Lord, give me wisdom to run this country, I don't know my comings in or my goings out. What he was saying is, I don't know whether I'm coming or going, so you give me wisdom to help me run this place. That'd be a nice prayer for a lot of our leaders to pray today. And we find that God gave him that wisdom and gave him wealth and honor and all the other things. But by the end of Solomon's life, we find Solomon offering sacrifices to pagan deities. People today would say, well, boy, I sure am glad we don't do that. Ah, Wait a minute. We have different names for our pagan deities, don't we? Oh, we don't have Moloch and Baal and the Asteros. We have Benjamin and Grant and Hamilton, Lincoln, George, who appear on those funny-looking green things that you keep in your wallet. And I have found that as people sometimes get older, they will sacrifice their ethic for those things. So rather than maybe having a ministry... What they're really trying to have is a dynasty. And so we find that it can happen to anybody. Laying aside all evil is what it's talking about here. It's a decision that you make. Now, realizing a couple of things. First of all, you and me, we don't have in our strength the power to make the right decisions. Haven't you lived long enough? You can make your New Year's resolutions. You can do all that kind of stuff. And it is not within man to live righteously. The Bible very clearly teaches that. We need help. Good news. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus said, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, who will give you power. 
Now, I need that. I need power in my life to make the right decisions. Because, again, in myself, in yourself, we don't make the right decisions, do we? Because of what reason? We are led about by our lusts, or we're led about by our feelings. We're led about by our emotions. How many people do you know? How many relationships do you know as an example? Especially if you're in the dating world. You've gotten yourself caught up or you know somebody that's gotten caught up because, well, they're really cute. Now, they're the worst person that ever walked the earth, but they're cute. And so, therefore, I will date them. Everything within you says, don't do this. This is really stupid. But inside we go, but I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to do what I feel is right. We go by our feelings. We go by advice of others. And we find ourselves lost. That's why the Bible says, laying aside All evil. The second thing it says, all guile. Now, that's another word we don't really use much today. If you're from Missouri, it might be uh, sushin. You say, what's that? It really means covering one's true feelings. Covering one's true feelings. You're really not being honest. That's That's what this word guile means. Not being honest with your feelings. That's like where somebody walks by and you go, hi, how are you? And you smile. I hate this person. I really do. You know, that's guile. So not dealing with issues in your life. Now, everybody knows if you have undealt issues in your life, what is that like? Have you ever swept dirt under a carpet? Okay. Undealt with issues. The dirt should have went outside in the trash. But instead, it gets swept under the carpet. As it gets swept under the carpet, gets swept under the carpet, gets swept under the carpet, pretty soon, the little pile of dust that was once there is now a 10-foot hill. And the carpet doesn't cover anymore. That's the same way it is in many people's life. They don't deal with the issues of their life. They mask it. Just stay stoned. Okay? That way you don't think about it. It doesn't worry you. It doesn't bother you. You see, you're not dealing with with the issue. Now, the reason why we don't deal with issues is very simple, friends. Sometimes it's too painful because sometimes to deal with the memories and the hurt and the feelings, it's easier sometimes to just pave over it and act like it doesn't exist or sweep it under the carpet or do something else with it where the Bible tells us we have one like a counselor that will come and reason with us and bring us through whatever it is that is troubling you. That's why the Bible says that God has given us a sound mind. Now, you say, well, what does that mean exactly? That means the Bible says you have a counselor that you can go to. In Isaiah, it says, come, let us reason together. God's ability to communicate with you through prayer, and and as the Bible says, that still small voice that's down inside of you, God reveals. So, laying aside, first of all, the evil. Second of all, the guile, covering one's feelings. Third, the hypocrisy. Word comes from the Greek word hypocrite, which means the actor, being an actor. He says, don't be that. Second, envy. Envy. I want what you got. That's envy. Friends, do you know the Bible says that God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory? You don't need to envy. That's why you don't need to steal. See, see, remember, actions always precede a thought pattern. And so before stealing ever comes into a person's life, envy has been there first that lights the fuse for the theft. 
You see, again, as you begin to really look and understand these things, it will help you understand your makeup as a person. And second of all, the makeup of others around you. Third, that you cannot be manipulated any longer by those things. As he goes on, he tells us this. Envy and all evil speaking. So it's not just evil practicing as we find back in the word malice, an actual practice. But now it says even evil speaking are those things. Now that can entail a lot of different things. So we'll just leave it at that and you can add in your own there. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. This word that you may desire. That's a heartfelt desire. And what is it for? The pure milk of the word. This word milk in the Greek is the word logos, which is um, uh, the logic of the word. The logic of the word. So as a newborn babe desiring the logic behind the word of God. You know, friends, that's really important. Now, there's two different principles here. First of all, you have desiring milk. And then you might say doing is the meat. Okay? So we have two different principles here. You have desire is milk. To do then is the meat. People say, I want to be into the meat of the word. Well, let me tell you what the meat of the word is. The meat of the word is applying what you know and getting busy. Now, every one of us, God equips with logic. And again, this gets back to this. See, once you can figure it out, you go, oh, logic, I get it. The penny drops. The light bulb comes on. There's a lot of different phraseologies for it. The chicken comes home. However, but it makes sense. You go, oh, I get it now. We're sinners. We need to be saved. Hey, I get it. That's why Jesus died on the cross. I need my sins forgiven. But also it goes beyond that and it begins to get into the psyche of us as humans. Do you realize how complicated we as people really are? All the king's horses and all the king's men would have a hard time putting you back together again because we are very complex beings. And that's why it's very difficult oftentimes, even for a counselor, to counsel you through an issue because there are so many different parameters that go into that. In other words, there's not just pat answers, you might say. That's why you need God to be your counselor. That's why you need to pray. Now again, remember, prayer, friends, isn't just telling God a bunch of stuff that he already knows. By the way, that's okay to do that, and I do that quite often. Because I feel a lot better when I go, God, this is going on, and 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 this is going on. And I won't bore you with the hours of this is going on, and this is going on, but I got a lot. And then, when finally you get so tired of telling God everything that he already knows, God begins to speak back. And the Bible says it's in the still, small voice that God begins to sort those things through in your life. That's what we call our quiet time with the Lord. And we need that. Because as we do that, God begins then to make the logos, the logic of it all happen for you. And you go, oh, I get it. I get it. I understand. There is a time to connect the dots. And God helps us connect the dots. Now, without God, it just seems like a bunch of mindless dots on a piece of paper. But God shows us which line to hook on next. And we go, oh, remember that when you were a kid? Especially when you went to the dentist's office or the doctor's office and they had those kid books there and you were waiting there. And they would have the dots. And you draw the line one, line two. And you know, oh, where does Tommy live? 
you know, and then you were, and, and, you know, it draws a house and you go, oh yeah, okay, that's where Tommy lives. But you know, as simple as that seems to be for us as humans, when we look at our personal lives, there's a lot of dots, friends, that ain't connected and we don't know where they go and we don't have a picture, do we? So then it looks like despair. When you cannot connect the dots in your life, it appears to be without any reason or any rhyme. And God in his love helps us connect the dots. So the desire then for God's logic settles your heart. Now he goes on and he tells us this. The pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Again, when you're grown up, you then can go out and help others. That's the way it works. As you become mature, you can help others. Do you know what what reproduces mature living things? Immature living things can't. They're pre-puberty, you might say, and, and they don't yet. They're still in the process of growing themselves. But as you mature, as you grow up, Jesus said, it's by their fruits you will know them. Now, by fruit, he means you'll know an apple tree because it's an apple tree because it's got apples on it. And Jesus also said, you don't go and gather fruit from a, a thorn bush. A tree is known by its fruit. That's why when the Bible says, when you judge, do a righteous judgment and judge by the fruit. That doesn't mean sometimes on a day-to-day basis, because friends, all of us fail sometimes on a day-to-day basis. We all do. We get cranky and we get mad and we say potty mouth words and we do those kinds of things. But on a, on an observation, friends, listen, anybody here that's ever been out in the field, anybody here that's ever been in an orchard, you go down here to some of these, you pick orchards down here in Hagerman and whatever. You don't walk out in the field one day and here's a bunch of vines and you walk out the next day and sometime overnight, all of a sudden all these cantaloupes just appeared. They grow. It takes time. But you know what that vine is by the fruit on it over a period of time. The same can be said for you. By the way, friends, sometimes we're much harder on ourselves than I think God is. Getting back to that, living in grace, living in God's promise, understanding that, yes, if we have sinned, we go to the Lord. The Bible says if we confess our sins, John tells us he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't cry over spilt milk. Get up and go on. God's bigger than the things you've done wrong. That's not an excuse to do things wrong, but it is saying this, that fruit is judged over a period of time, not on a day-to-day issue. However, there should be something growing on your trees. It might be a little bit of an immature apple that will come to fruition maybe in another four months or five months, but I'll tell you, you're going to know, I have a pretty good idea what's growing there by what's hanging on the tree. So he says, That you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted, the Lord is gracious. Now this is an interesting thing because we find here in verse 3 a conditional issue. And that is if indeed you have found the Lord to be gracious. What he's saying here is this. By experience you know that God is good. I think this is why God, when a person comes to the Lord, puts people on what I call the honeymoon. For anybody here that's ever been on a honeymoon, maybe a good honeymoon... I'm not going to touch that. I, let's just move on on that. But no, a good honeymoon. Every, you know, oh, you're there. You, you know, everything's all sweet and nice and wonderful. And then the honeymoon gets over. And then you have to figure out who's going to pick up the dirty socks. Now, this is a hard reality to come from honeymoon to real living. And all the married people said, Amen. But it's true. 
I think God does that with us sometimes a little bit. He puts us on the honeymoon. If you ever accept the Lord, you'll say, you accept the Lord and, 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 you know, you don't really know what's exactly happened, but you know your sins are forgiven. And now all of a sudden you feel like, you know, like life is new again. You've been born again and that's a great feeling. And you say, Lord, I don't have the money for my rent. And you walk outside and there's an envelope laying on the ground and you pick it up and there's all the rent money and you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm serious. I've heard stories from people in this church and other places where they accept the Lord and they almost say they can't even get the prayer out of their mouth and God answers it. Does that relate with anybody here? And then after you've been a Christian for a while, you pray and it's like nothing happens. And you think, God, what happened? Did the train go off the tracks? Aren't you there anymore? Don't you love me anymore? I'm serious. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you first got saved, you you you, you couldn't get the prayer out of your mouth and God wouldn't answer it. And then after a period of time, it seems that, that, that then this growth period comes in. And, and it's like God takes us off the honeymoon and moves us in to the growing stage. Now, the growing stage is a little bit different because that is where we enter in to what I call the trust issue. It's easy whenever you pray and you get whatever you want. But that doesn't require much faith on my or your behalf. It's where we pray and we say, okay, God, now I need to have this happen. And day comes and day goes. Weeks come and week go. And you don't see any change. And you wonder, God, do you even care? I think that a lot of times this is a time when people backslide. I think this is a time when people give up on their faith with God because they don't see immediate results and therefore they think God has abandoned them or I've done something horribly wrong and God doesn't answer my prayers like I did when I first got saved. And so therefore there's something wrong. No, God's still answering your prayers the same way. It's just God is saying, I want you to trust me now. That's Pastor Mike Kessler with It's Time. I'd like to take this moment to invite you to get your free copy of It's Time to Grow, the new believers booklet written by Pastor Mike. It's Time to Grow answers many of the questions new believers have in a clear and concise manner, followed by the scripture references for each statement made. It's Time to Grow can be yours simply by dialing 800-357-4226. That's 1-800-357-4226. Or you can order it online for free at csnradio.com. Don't forget, if you'd like a copy of today's program, you can call our toll-free line I mentioned before, and that's 1-800-357-4226. Also, the daily free podcast is available through iTunes by searching for It's Time in the iTunes Store. On behalf of Pastor Mike and all of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening, and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.